give some. Gotta get your brain right if you're trying to make a million dollars. If you ain't gonna do it for yourself, then do it for your mama. Only stay surrounded by them people if you know they solid. Elevate your hustle up today to double up your profit. Trying to learn some game, Xavier gonna talk about it. No Deanna, speak that shit that everybody vouches. Ain't no more excuses valid. Get up off the couch and get up in your bag. To your bank account, need an accountant. I study millionaires cause I was born a visionary. You still believe in limitations? Why you acting scary? You can't distract me from the paper I've been Chase the greatness. I'm stacking now and balling later. In the conversation, we strategizing, monetizing, piling up investments, and sacrificing temporary sh- for bigger blessings. Yeah, a tapped in boss mind state. I multiply my grind rate and I match the way I vibrate. Gotta get your brain right if you're trying to make a million dollars. If you ain't gonna do it for yourself, then do it for your mama. Only stay surrounded by them people if you know they solid. Elevate your hustle up today to double up your profit. Trying to learn some game, Xavier gonna talk about it. No Deanna speak that sh- that everybody voucher. Ain't no more excuses valid. Get up off the couch and get up in your bag. To your bank account, need an accountant. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Millionaire Mindsets Podcast. I'm your host, Xavier. Got my co-host, Lee, with me. Hey, everybody. And today we have uh, another special guest. It's going to be another dope episode with a lot of um important topics important game out here and our special guest today he go, his name is terrence clark he's in the car industry with car sales and he's also a real estate investor on on the properties and all those things and such and we excited to have him on the show welcome to the show bro man th- thanks for having me I-, I really appreciate it this is like a special moment like a uh uh, one of those moments that you that that I had kind of on my on my checklist for the year. This was like a one of those goals for me. So I, I oh, appreciate yeah, y'all here. having me. Mm-hmm. Oh, we here now. We here. And even more special, it's the last episode of the year, so we got to do it right. Oh man, it is the last episode. <laughs> That's a fact. That's a <laughs> last year. Yeah, last episode of twenty twenty. Damn, it's been a long year, man. But let's let's <laughs> <laughs> let's get straight. Let's get straight to it. So for the people who may not have heard of you, do you mind just giving a, a little background on yourself? Okay, so um, I, I generally like to tell people I'm just like a, a serial entrepreneur. I like to uh, put my hands in a couple of different uh, avenues and, and the things that make sense for me. Uh, basically, I got my start in automotive sales, um, branched out, did a uh, started a business outside of uh, the car business um, where I help people uh, purchase cars and and help them through the process. And then also uh, on the real estate side, I grew up in real estate. Um, you know, my grandfather and grandparents uh, and grandmother, I should say, um, you know, they started real estate investing, you know, way back in, uh, I want to say it's the fifties. So um, just going from, from there and kind of watching that uh, business grow, um, I've been able to step into a role with the with the family business and uh, help at, you know develop our business further. I kind of hold the role as a, a develop, business development manager, mm, okay. and I'm also a licensed realtor. So you you, you uh, definitely definition of a serial entrepreneur. So I want to uh, just 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 getting right into it, man. Like on a timeline, I always see you like talking about. Car, the car industry and car sales and like how because and this is interesting to me because i think for the most part i think everybody when they buy their first car they get into like a bad deal so i feel like this kind of <laughs> <laughs> so i feel like this conversation is like super important to have because i think it's a lot of stuff that people don't know about like um buying a car 
And so it, all the gems, the game, I always see you give on the timeline. I'm like, yeah, we definitely got to have this conversation on the show, man. So, like, my first question regarding this is, like, so pretty. No, let me take it back first. So what got you into the car industry first? Uh, that's a funny story. Like, all right, so I graduated college. I went to four years, went to four years of college and um, was getting out. And my, one of my, like, childhood friends from elementary school, we had stayed close uh as I, after high school and into college. So he's like, hey, you know, do you have a job? I'm like, nah, I don't. I'm like, I, you know, I don't know what I'm gonna do after after college. He was already in car sales. So story about him, uh, shout out to my boy, Jeff, but uh, he went to school, it didn't work out for him. His dad had been in car sales his whole life. His dad actually had his own lot. So, and to take it back about them, like Jeff sold cars in high school. He used to buy cars, like drive them to school and sell them to our classmates. So. He got into the car business. When I was coming out of school, he said, do you have a job? I'm like, nah. He's like, all right, well, come come try to sell cars. And I'm like, cars? Ah, <laughs> oh, man, I I don't know, man. You saying, you trying to tell me to be a car salesman? Like, like I don't, I don't know about that. But the, the thing that I knew for sure was Jeff was making a lot of money. Like he was like, and he was real good at what he did. So like I saw, I had a true example of somebody who was successful in the industry. And so when I didn't have no options, like when I figured like, all right, like you either have to go out and figure out what you want to do, or you could just try this. And so I just tried it, you know, even against a lot of people's uh, better judgment. I mean, I had both, I had both parents and both parents questioning me, you know, about going saying, not really questioning, but really just making sure that it really, it really was what I wanted to do. Cause I had just went to school for, for five years to get a degree. So they're like, are you sure that this is the best opportunity for you to go do this. And, you know, another one of my mentors, uh, you know, a guy who I was really close with uh, also was like, uh, you didn't go to school for four years to be a car salesman. Like they were like, they were definitely um, not seeing the opportunity there. And I tried it just because, like I said, my friend, I saw him be successful in it. So I'm like, well, I'm the type of guy that, you know, I don't, not looking at him bad, but just saying, yo, if he can do it, I know I can do it. I don't look at people and say, oh, you know, they're lucky or this, this, that, and the third. I'm not like a hater like that. I just say, okay, if it's, if that opportunity is available for that person, it's definitely available for me. So I, I just kind of took my chances and went with it, honestly. Mm, that's that's dope, man. And that's crazy that, that you have people actually saying stuff like that. Like, you ain't go to school before you used to be a car salesman. Like, that's, that's wild, yo. But so when you got into the industry, like, I'm pretty sure you was probably like on a, on a basic level of knowledge, like, most consumers when we go to the when we go to buy these cars. So I want to ask you like, so what is some of the like um all right for first no I'll take it here. So the the starting process to buying a car, like what's some of the things that people should have figured out before they even step foot into any dealership? This is my favorite part of the conversation, bro, honestly, because all right, so being on the real estate side and being on and coming from the car world, I seen both. So people really need to have their finances in, in order. Like if you don't, if you don't know what to expect your finances to look like, you're not in any position to go out and buy a car. Same thing with buying a house. You need to understand what the cost of ownership is. What is it going to be from month to month? What can you expect in terms of maintenance? What can you expect in terms of gas, like all those things need to be figured out before you go buy a car. So I tell people the first, first step of buying a car is go get a pre-approval, go get a pre-approval. And if you, 
this this is basically if it's your first time if you don't already have a car if you already have a car it's the step is different but the very first step generally people need to know exactly what their budget can handle like what can you manage in your budget that's that's the number one thing see i wish somebody told me that when i was buying my first car because i went there no pre-approval letter had no idea how much i could truly afford ended up getting a 2013 car and in total out of pocket i probably spent over twenty thousand dollars on that car just over the years and i always look back just so hurt about it because i didn't understand the fees that got tacked on the taxes how the interest worked all of it just going in there and not being knowledgeable on how to make that deal go through i tell people at the at the most you should be at like 15% 15% of your net income should be your total expense for your car. That's car, that's insurance included. Like that number, you need to be lean in that, you know, shall you have any variable in your income? You do not want to be worrying about how you're getting around, how you're maintaining your car um, that you want to have that solidified. You know, I know a lot of, we all say, Oh, you know, a car is a depreciating asset. Da, da, da. How I think about it is a car in my mind, if you're driving places for business and all that, that's an asset. It, it, it may not be one that cash flows, but it's an asset that has value. So um, you definitely want to have those things in line before you make any purchase decision. Like, like I said, it's very much like real estate, very, very much. So, all right. So from this standpoint, it's like, all right, I went, got the pre-approval letter. I know where my finances, finances are at. I know how much I can afford. Now I'm in a car dealership. What would you say should be your next steps to now go in there and negotiate a deal and get a good car? So generally speaking, once, once you get the pre-approval, the pre-approval is going to be broken down into a couple of different things. It's going to tell you your total amount that you can approve, that you can be approved for is going to tell you, uh, your interest rate and the and the term. So you have to reverse engineer, you know, your situation because they're telling you what you can be approved for. You can add your own cash to that if you want to, or you can uh, squeeze everything into that that pre-approval. So uh, what I would say is once uh, once you kind of decide the budget, then you need to do a basic needs assessment of what are you actually looking for in a car because you don't want to walk into the dealership and you say, hey, dealership, I have $15,000 to spend. What can I buy? Now you're going to end up going there, buying something that may not really fit your needs. And then you're right back in the dealership two years later because you didn't think about this and you're upside down. You may have had a higher loan. Um, you may have driven the car because, again, you didn't go through. You might have driven the car more than what you uh, intended. And so you may be in a worse situation financially this time around. Uh, than you were the first time. So I would say get the pre-approval, then do a needs assessment so you can figure out exactly what it is that you're looking for. That will help you kind of determine how much you can spend on a car, um, you know, and and what type of features, you know, you're you're looking for. So the needs assessment is is definitely the next step after that. Okay. So I want to ask this. So when you're in a dealership, you know, typically you're in the dealership negotiating with the salesman. They'll do something. They'll be like, "Oh man, I can't, I can't do that deal." But let me, let me go to the back real quick and see, see if I can strangle out some real quick. Then they come back with a new deal, and they be like, "I'm pretty sure everybody that probably that went through this, they probably said this is the lowest that I can do. I can't get any lower than this." Then you like, "Come on, man!" Then somehow they beat that deal. We all like, bro. I thought you told me this is lowest you can go. You, you, this is the lowest you can go. So my question is like. They say stuff like that, like, this is the absolute lowest I can go. 
is that valid or is that completely bullshit? Have you left the dealership yet? Mm, nope. <laughs> don't ever buy. Don't ever buy on the first day and don't ever buy on that. This is the absolute lowest I can go. That's not, you don't know that. If it is, if it is, they'll call you and say, hey, you know, I really enjoyed your business, but this is our absolute best deal. This is a one of, this is a whatever car. This is the one that you wanted, but this is my best deal. If that's their best deal, that's what they're going to do. But nine times out of 10, they're going to be calling you and saying, hey, you know, I know I said this was the lowest I could do, but you know, if you're willing to come in right, they'll always say, if you're willing to come in today, uh, I can do another 1500 off, or I could do another 500 off. Like that's, that's playing the game. Like you got to get, you got to leverage, uh, you have to leverage your 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 presence at the dealership. When they when you're at the dealership, their their mindset is to sell the car to you right then and there. They don't want you going to think about it. They don't want you going to talk to nobody else, getting anybody else's opinion. Um, so so that that's probably your your biggest strength is to make sure that you leave that dealership. Now there's a there's a way on a new car that you can eliminate all that because most of the dealerships own the cars for the same amount. So you really could just shop around give your your home dealership the opportunity to give you the best deal to say hey this is what i got i'm looking for it to make sense for me i'm looking to get you know 500 to a thousand dollars less than these offers i mean you there's definitely a new cars is, is a different ball game there's different strategy for new used um yeah for and there's probably even different strategy for purchasing purchasing a car off of uh, a private owner so uh what is that like when they say stuff like that like this is the lowest i can go like what is that based on so generally speaking it should be based on what they own the car for it should be based off of okay like for instance for instance a used car they're usually going to buy the car for x amount of dollars they're going to put x amount of dollars into it in terms of uh in terms of service right so they're they, they might do oil change they might do a detail they might do uh, new tires, uh, new brakes, new rotors. So they have their cost. Then they have um, what they put into it. And then they have their profit. So it should, there is a baseline. It should be based off of, off of math, not just kind of thrown out there. And, and, and a lot of the data that you need to really figure out or get an idea of, of what a dealership may own a car for, at least its initial basis, uh, you can just go to like places like Kelly Blue Book, um, NADA guides, uh, what's my other one? I like an Edmonds.com. And I would just like, look at the ranges, you know, at all those different dealers, at all those different sites and like average them out to give you an idea of kind of what that baseline may be for the dealership. And go ahead, D. I was going to say, um, do you recommend purchasing a car during like holiday season? As far as that's, it's like, because <laughs> you know, that's, that's the first thing. Ask. Oh, so we, <laughs> but yeah, you know, that's, what, that's what everybody, you know, that's the time of year they want to get out, get gifts for everybody, or, you know, just take advantage of all the, the supposed discounts and deals on it. So what do you think about that? So usually like, so just keep, being new car specific, usually the reason why the holidays is a big time of year is because the they have big holidays like okay so the end of the year they're going to talk about the end of the year sales it's not really surrounding the holiday so much more as it is the mile the mile or i'm sorry the model year of the car changing so uh that's the reason why really the deals are better and if you're looking at new cars, then you really just want to try to see when is the new inventory coming in if it's a 20 if you're looking at 2020s 
you know, when can you get a 2019 uh, that is in your best advantage, right? And if when I'm saying 2019, if nothing major has changed with the car, if it's not like a big aesthetic difference that, you know, you care about, um, then you want to try to buy a year, a, a year before uh, that's going to give you the most incentive. The dealership doesn't want those cars. They want to keep in fresh model year cars because the ones that are older, they've had for longer. And so um, that goes into like how the dealerships even own the cars. A lot of the cars that are on their lot are financed through a bank uh, in, a, in a process or in a, in a structure called floor plan. So the longer that the car sits on the lot, the more interest that they pay on that car. And so that's why there's incentive at the end of the year to blow everything out. They don't want any of that old inventory on their lot. Mm, makes sense. That make that make a lot of sense. Though. But you know, honestly, let me also tell you that you really can get a great deal at any time. And right, that's what I was going to ask. Time, any day, any situation, you can get you can get a a good deal. There's things that you can leverage on the dealership. The same way that we look for motivated sellers, right? Don't when we're in real estate, we look for someone who has a pain point. You can have the same conversation with a with a with a dealer. If I'm going to buy a car and I say, hey, you know, I know I want the Lexus ES. I'm a simple guy. I really don't care what what color, what this. I could go in there literally and say to the dealership, what's the oldest ES350 you have on the lot? Show me your oldest one. And that car, that oldest car, they're going to be more, they're going to be much more aggressive on that oldest car on the lot than they would, generally speaking, on any of the other cars. And so it's just knowing like what their motivations are. What what's the dealer's motivation to sell? Like most dealers are volume based, and so they they really operate based off of like trends. So they want to always be ahead of their trend. If you're going in and you're just having conversation with the salesman just about how business is going, you know how your numbers looking, and kind of making it seem like you're building the rapport with him on that end, he'll tell you everything that they need that you need to know. Oh yeah, we're close to our goal. Oh, okay, so you need this dealer. If you're close to the goal, you, you need my business. Because I could go anywhere and buy the car, but you're close to your goal. So you need you need my business. And so it's just about turning it, turning it into finding their motivations and using it against them. Mm, see, the, the the how I found out that like you could probably pretty much get a deal at any time is one time me and Deanna, we went to a dealership. This was a couple of years ago. And we was about to get the uh Jeep, the, the Grand Cherokees, right? So we went in there like at 5, maybe like 6 p.m. We ended up leaving to like 9, 10, though, because they kept like, like, because we were serious about getting a car. Then we was there so long, I was like, you know what? I don't even want it no more because they like wasting my time. But I kept saying like, no, nah, this deal is not good enough. And every time he would be like, man, this is as low as I can go. All right, let me go to the back. He would come back about 10 minutes later with a much lower deal. By the time we was leaving, bro, I was talking about the deal was like better than perfect. I was like, Wow. But I, like I said, I was like, man, we've been here so long. I don't even want the car no more. So we left. But I was like, yo, Matt, we got like, end up getting like three, $400 like cheaper than we wanted it just because we kept saying, no, nah, this ain't it. This ain't it. But I'm like, I wonder how many people don't even know that though. Like you could get, you could, you could definitely get you at whatever you probably, where you wanted at specifically when you mess with these car dealers instead of getting like ripped off paying like way more than you wanted. Definitely. The dealership <laughs> has a specific structure. So like they, they have, they have made the process to their advantage. They've made everything about the car buying process to their advantage to where a consumer really doesn't know what they don't know. And they, they take advantage of that just by the process. Like for instance, give you an example. Most people don't even look at it this way, but when you have a trade-in, 
Those are two completely separate transactions. Those are not the same transaction. When you have a trade-in, you are selling your car to the dealership and they're buying your car. And then on the, on the other side, you're buying one of their cars. So they'll put, they'll make it one. So you'll come in, they'll show you numbers. Then the salesman is going out looking at your trade-in. Then he comes back with a trade number and he has you focus in on that bottom line. All he wants you to do is either focus in on the bottom line. And if he's a really good salesman, then all he's having you do is focus on that payment. He puts you right to the payment. What, where do you need this payment to be? Because the dealership is making so much money in so many different places. They're, they structure the process to where they don't really give the, the consumer a, a, a transparent process to really give them opportunity to win a negotiation. Deanna, you're, you're a licensed realtor too, right? Yes, sir. So imagine, imagine what, dual, what dual agency without disclosure does in our mm -hmm. industry. And that's exactly what the car business is. Exactly what it mm -hmm. is. You gotta be careful with it. So, so like, what are some of the, the I think some of the, cause I think sometimes knowing what to ask is just like more important than anything. So what's some of the right questions that people can ask when they talking to these uh, car dealers? Uh, I would, I would definitely ask, you know, how long they've had the car on the lot, what they've done to the vehicle since it's been on their lot. Um, I guess how long it's been, what they've done to it, uh, what the, if they have access to any uh, history, right? So that's like Carfax or, or uh, vehicle checks. Um, and then I would ask them for a book out of the vehicle. So a book out of the vehicle, this is something that a lot of people won't know. This is one of those like, uh, like I guess, hidden gems. A book out is what the bank is gonna value the car at. So every, most banks use the same uh, book out in, in terms of the valuations. Usually it comes from NADA guides. And so what that's going to do is help you understand where the bank values the car. And so at that point, you can try to, you can try to not to be overextended or over leveraged in, in the vehicle. Um, usually just like in real estate, right? There's a, there's a loan to value that the bank wants and real estate, they, you know, if it's a first time home buyer, they want you to put down 3%. If it's a, uh, you know, investment deal they want you to put down 20 percent on cars they overextend you so on cars they'll allow you to finance a hundred and on great credit 135 percent of the vehicle's value on uh on medium credit let's call it 120 and on bad probably a hundred and less but think about that right because on real estate it it appreciates but on a car, you're overextended. They're allowing you to finance a vehicle overextended and they're charging you interest on a depreciating asset. So like it's a whole, it's a basically a big combination of like not good financial uh, planning if you don't know what you're doing. So definitely you want to ask, you want to know what they've done to it, how long they've had it, uh, what the vehicle history is, and then for a book out. Your ideal situation is you'd want to make sure they're not charging you that car over retail value. And if you can, you want to try to reasonably, reasonably be as close to trade-in value as possible. But again, trade-in value at the dealership is going to be hard to attain because likely they got the car for trade-in value and then have costs associated with it. I'm, I'm somebody that if I was helping you negotiate a car, I would try to negotiate the deal not to the point of the dealership losing money because they're a business and I'm a businessman and I don't think that people deserve to lose money when they do business. But I do, I do think that you should get a, a reasonable deal. And just keep in mind, like a used car 
may mean I'm offering them profit. On a used car, I could go below invoice and the dealership not technically be losing money. So there's just a lot of different things, man. Honestly, I I think it would probably confuse people um, if I started like rambling about it. It's a lot. It's a lot. And I think that it's one of those things where uh, I hope that the service that I provide really impacts a lot of people because I know that there's so much that that people don't know. Mm. So, so go ahead, D. I was going to say, um, are you pro purchasing a used car or purchasing a new car or just leasing? See, see we on the same page, man. We, we, <laughs> we asked him. I wasn't going to ask him the same thing. I got you. Don't worry about it. So I always tell people it's all dependent upon that person's lifestyle, right? So if I'm somebody that has a, a the temperament that I could own my cars for five years, then yeah, go ahead. You could buy new or used and do just fine if you're someone who is a long-term owner. But if you're somebody who likes to get in and out of vehicles, you know, you like to have the latest and the greatest, um, you may be wanting to look at a lease. But then again, if you're a high mileage driver, you may not be able to lease. So you want to really just take a look at uh, take a look at you know what your plans are for the car. That's where that needs assessment. That's where all these these questions come in because at the needs assessment is where you're supposed to say, okay, what am I gonna what am I gonna use this car? How often am I gonna drive this car? You know, where do I envision taking it? Oh, this is just my daily commuter. I'm just gonna be using this car to go back and forth to work. I can kind of reasonably figure out uh, how many miles I'm gonna do per year. At that point, you know, if I fall within between 10 and 12,000 miles a year, and I'm someone who likes to get in and out of cars, that already tells me that I, you know, I'm probably someone who needs that, I, that can lease. But if I'm someone who maybe is high mileage driver, you know, I'm gonna hold my car for a while, um, that's probably somebody who should buy, uh, you know, buy used or make sure they get a really good deal on uh, new. And one more question. So I know like a big thing for, especially when I was growing up, when I was like uh, around 18 or so, a lot of my friends and a lot of advice our parents gave us was you need to go buy a car under $5,000 or, you know, get you a used car, something, something cheap to just get you by until you can afford something that you really like. But in reality, I don't think about, they think about how much that used car can end up costing you as far as buying a car that's that older, probably not in good shape. And I was maintenance repairs and I feel like all this stuff starts to build up over time so do you have any perspective on advice or you know people in that situation who are contemplating like should I just go buy a better model or should I just buy a car under five thousand and ride it up that's a it's like very scary advice for me to tell somebody to buy a car cash like I, I think that's very scary advice because again we talked about the car depreciates in its value and you know when you think about something that's under under five thousand, where a lot of people can't afford the car cash, a lot of times those cars are have very high mileage and high mileage on a machine, right? Because that's what a car is a machine of a whole bunch of working parts. When I was in when I was in when I was a finance manager, they they taught us that the car has thirty thousand working parts down to the screw. So when you talk about buying something that's a hundred and let's call thirty thousand miles. Uh, that's scary. You never know what can happen or when it or when it's going to happen. Now, if you're somebody who has the the skill set to work on their own cars and you know you you can do all those things, by all means, buy that car because it's probably not going to stress you the same way that it would someone who does not have that skill set. But uh, again, on the flip side, when you look at the car is depreciating, um, I I think that 
people have better options. Um, and I think it's easier to manage your expenses when you know what they are. Like when you have a car that is $5,000, you don't know what's going to happen or when. And it's very hard to plan for that. It's very hard to know, okay, one month I'm not, you know, you when we're building, usually we say, okay, we're going to put a rent, we're going to put away X amount of dollars every month. This is our plan. And we're going to, we're going to put this away. We're going to invest this. And we're going to, you know, you have your, your chart of where your money is going. If you don't know when to expect an expense on your car, that can mess up your whole plan. If your plan was set to be there in five years, and now you're two months behind because you had an unexpected car expense, that's, that's going to be very unfortunate. Whereas though I could go to a dealer and maybe get a lease. And I, and, and so here's the part where people have to be real about themselves too, is if you're going to lease a car, that, that don't mean you have to go get the, the, uh, the nicest and, you know, biggest and best cars. Sometimes that means going to go get the economy car that I could, that I could lease for $99 and know that every, every month my expense is $99. Like that's it. Um, that's, that's part of like where you got to be a little bit more mature. Um, but yeah, I think it's easier to manage uh, a car payment than it is to manage unex unexpected expenses, especially considering most of us are not, are most of, yeah, most of us are not set up, uh, to handle variable expenses. I think the stat says like most people don't even have a thousand dollars in their bank account. So if your engine goes and that's $1,500, what, what are you going to do? You're out the money, you're out the money that you just paid for the car and the engine. So, I mean, and, and a car with a bad engine that has high mileage on it is worth probably $500. It's worth scrap. So you lost all your money in that. And I think it's easier for you to manage breaking that five that let's say you even put $2,500 down. If my payment was 250, the other 2,500 that I didn't put down, I got my payment covered for 10 months, almost a year. That gives me a year to kind of, or almost a year to kind of plan and, and, and stack and, and be diligent in my, uh, and my finances and when they're going, you know, for that point. So I think it's easier to, to get a, a newer car and, uh, and plan for it and just plan for what you, what you can expect. Mm, okay. It's, uh, I know earlier we was talking about the buying process when you actually go into the dealership and do you, do, would you apply those same strategies to leasing or is that strictly like what we were talking about strictly for if you want to actually own the car? No, there's definitely ways to, uh, there's definitely negotiating, uh, places on the lease too. It's just a little harder for the, uh, for the regular buyer to, to, to negotiate a lease. And the only reason why it's harder is because of how it's calculated. You would have to know the calculation of a lease to really know, I guess, you know, what they're actually charging you, but I can give you a series of, of questions to kind of ask to make them transparent. So like one thing that's different between a lease and a, and a finance is when you finance, you have the interest rate. When many people lease, they don't know there's something called a money factor. Your money factor is essentially what your interest rate is. In fact, if you ask the dealership, it's probably a decimal. It's probably 0. 0.0 something or 0. 0.00 something. If you take that 0. 0.00 something and multiply it by 2,400, that would give you what it, it would equate for for a finance rate. So um, when you're doing these leases, ask them for their money factor and then ask them if that's the best money factor or if that's the if that's what you know your credit uh, warrants as far as money factor, that's a the money factor and the interest rates are two big big uh, profit centers for the dealership. The dealership can charge you for facilitating the finance. The dealership charges you a fee for that. Usually that fee is in the is in the uh, is in the interest rate or the money factor. It's 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 raised. So let's say let's say that 
you're sitting there, they gave they tell you, hey, great, you qualify for 5.6%. That 5.6, you, you probably are closer to a 3.6 or a 4.6. They're allowed to mark it up because they facilitated the financing. So you definitely want to ask them, you know, and that's kind of what the pre-approval does on the on the finance side if you're buying and on the on the lease side, ask them, you know, that stuff is usually tiered by in, by uh, credit score. And so you could ask them, what is this, uh, what is this money factor based off of what credit score? And so that kind of will allow them to know that you're a little bit more of a savvy buyer than the average person. That's Oh, okay. So I want to, so something you said earlier is um, you said don't buy cars cash. And I feel like right now it's kind of like a big notion going around, especially in our culture, where it's like um, if you don't own your car, if you don't own um, your car, even for more expensive cars, like high value cars, if you don't own it, is something wrong with that if you're leasing it? or whatever the case may be. So I wanted you to dive in a little bit on that because like we've even seen it with people we know where they've put down like $30,000 or like a, a large yeah. sum of money on these expensive cars. And it's like, why? Like, why are you even doing that? I, yeah, I know somebody that did that with uh, like one of my supervisors, my old supervisor from the military. I remember he he got the um the new, he got, he got the new Challenger and he told me, he told me he put thirty thousand down. He said he was like I emptied out my whole, whole check-ins. He's like I still got money in my savings, but I emptied out my whole check-ins, put thirty thousand dollars down. He was like now I, I owe twenty, because I think he said he paid fifty. He said I owe twenty. I put thirty down, and I was just thinking, I'm, I'm like, why are you just saying? But I, I don't know. I'm like, why are you just didn't lease the car so you could have kept that bread or just not put that bread down? Like I know you, you got decent credit, you could have kept that bread and did something else with it. And he, and from his point of view, he was thinking like. I mean, I ain't had nothing else to do with the money, so I just put it, and I'm like, yo, what the? And, <laughs> you got <know>, the kids. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, and then I'm like, uh, speaking on, like, the other accent regarding Lisa, I feel like in our culture, like, spe- specifically in the black culture, it's, like, looked down upon to Lisa. I feel like now people coming around because there's more information out now, but it's like, you know, older people, the older generation is always, like, ownership with them. You need to buy your house, own your house. You need to own your car type shit, and they had that same... That, that same mindset. Then you got the the entertainment industry with because the rappers you got rappers like Meek saying when I bought that Rolls Royce, I thought it was lease. Or when you say when I bought that Ferrari, whichever car you said, Rose. yeah, it probably was. <laughs> I don't even remember. But he said y'all thought it was lease. So that's like in our culture, it's like a like nigga, you don't own that. That's a lease. It's like they we shit on you for that. So so, and the reason why is because like you said, misinformation, right? So I'll give you two separate scenarios. If I'm if if I'm buying a, even those high luxury cars, right? If I'm buying those cars to keep them, and I'm buying them as collectors, I'm going to own it. The person who I worked for, Mister Mister Hendrick, he has a he has a whole museum of cars, and he bought those cars. I'm sure cash and does not lease them. But when we talk about depreciating assets, because they're collector items for him, those assets aren't depreciating assets he has cars there that will sell today for double what he paid for the vehicle that's a good car to own that's a good reason to own a car most of these guys who are saying that they thought it was leased they're just having misinformation you you bought the the bentley or whatever the regular one that everybody has to drive it around and you paid cash for it because you thought that that was the thing 
not if you're going to use it every day. You know what I mean? Not if it's going to be like your car, like those cars that he has that are collectors, I'm sure they probably have the original miles on them. Like he probably didn't even, the only time they had miles put on them is how they got to the museum. And I don't even know if he did that, you know, he could have even put them on, on trucks, but those are, that's a different scenario. Like, and you could tell, like, it's funny that you said that you, you can hear people, how they're coming around because now like, that that song from me, that was back. I don't. That was like maybe. That was that was 2012. Okay, so that was 2012. So that's eight years ago, right? Now, if you turn on a little baby right now today, there's like, and you could tell when he got the information. When the information, you could instantly hear in the tracks. I think it's on the same album where it went from I don't lease those cars to I'm smarter with my money. I lease those cars. Mm-hmm. So like. Mm-hmm. It's just that information, like what we, like, you know, we always say, it's not about how much money you make, it's about how much money you keep. And so it's, it's ends up being a lot easier to keep money when you lease the cars. That just ends up being, for these people's lifestyle, the better way to own a car. It doesn't make sense to, to own that car and lose all that money where, you know, I tell people, think about what you could have made. Don't necessarily think about how, oh, well, you know, like, like your friend, he might've said, oh, I put 30,000 down because I financed 20,000. So my payment on this car is only 350. So he's thinking, well, you know, 350 is manageable. Oh yeah, I can manage 350. But if you had 30K to put down, you could manage a $700 payment and go make money with that other 20K. And now you you driving that car for, for free because you're uh, leveraging the money that you have. You're making money on the money that you have as opposed to putting it in something that's that's losing money. So that spread is, is huge. And um, I think people have to think about that, especially like, and that's even in the leasing versus buying. Like a lot of people only buy because that's what their parents told them or buy because that's what they know. But then they're they're right back into the dealership three years later and they're upside down in the car. So, and when, and when, the, when the conversation of leasing buying is, oh, you know, no, I don't, I don't want to lease. I want to buy it. I want to own it. Bro, you traded the car and in three years, you never owned it. You never owned the car. You were making payments on the car to the bank, but technically you never, ever owned it. You never held title to this vehicle. So, you know, it's just misinformation. That's, that's all. That's a hell of a perspective. That, that last point you just made, that's real. And like, like, like I said, I feel like um, people coming around now, and I think in most instances, like when I, like most people that I know their lifestyle, I think most people's lifestyle is probably better like people that I know firsthand, it's probably better if they lease their cars because they don't drive a lot, you know what I'm saying? Or they do drive to work every day. They're not driving 100 miles every day. They might be driving 20 miles a day or something like that. But it's like, man, you don't even know. Like you could have you could have just leased that whip and, and kept all that bread. Because like I could think of offhand, like everybody I know that bought a car, they always tell me when I have the conversation with them, they be like, man, I did a bad deal. I shouldn't did it like this. I'm trying to, or they trying to return it to get something else to get a better deal. Like everybody I know, I really, I really know people that got a good deal for their cars, went in there strategic and were like, man, I'm satisfied with the deal I got for this car. It's like, it's like, it's rare, it's rare to see that. At least for me, it is. You probably no, see it much good. more as being a, being in the industry. I mean, so this was the crazy thing about working in the industry, right? This is the, and, and this is like so crazy. This is going to blow your mind. But the people that, the people that got, the worst deals, I mean, the worst, I mean, the people that you made the most money on, like the most, they are the happiest people. They are, they are so ecstatic. They are are leaving the dealership from ear to ear. They're extremely happy. There are people that get the best of the best deals. I'm talking like, 
loser deals. Like the dealership definitely will sell you a, on a new car, an under invoice deal. And some of those people are some of the people that think that they did not get a good deal. So I think it's all about what you know. And this stuff doesn't have to be a guessing game. The car business does not have to be a guessing game. Same way you go and do market research on, in real estate, you do you can do the same thing for the car business. And so um, to take the guesswork out of it, know what you're going in there, what you're talking about. That way, it either is, is a good deal or it ain't. You know, if, if you know if that if you go and buy a rental and you can't get a 10% return on your on that rental, that's not something you're moving forward with. So if I know that this car, I should buy it for this, if that dealer won't sell it to me for that, then I'm not buying it. You gotta have, you gotta be able to walk away. You gotta be able to say no and not be convinced of, of what these people tell you just because. Mm. So so off top, if you can remember, what are some of the worst deals you've seen that you could remember? Like my like personally? Yeah. So I, I've made I've made twelve thousand dollars on a car before, like not twelve thousand dollars personally, but the dealership has had a had a profit margin of twelve thousand dollars. That's <laughs> That's a lot of money on a car deal. Just to give you perspective, uh, uh, a brand new car has an MSR that has an MSRP, like a luxury car has probably five to 6% markup in a vehicle. So 50, 50 grand, you're looking at 2,500 to three grand a markup. I'm saying that I made 12 grand on a, on a car deal before. So like that's, yeah, I mean, there, there's, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy. And, and honestly, those are the deals that, that make me that made me want to like get out of the car business because I knew that that person had no idea but at the same time I knew that I was there to make I had to make a paycheck so I'm trying to get as get as much as I can if you're going to allow me to sell you the car and not ask for anything else I'm going to allow you to buy it and if and if you're happy about it that's even better are you into the uh the uh, car rental business so I have been doing a lot of consulting for car rental businesses. And uh, at the more and more I do uh, the consulting, the more and more I'm kind of like, yo, I think this might be a good angle uh, for me because I'm able to get, I'm able to, I'm going to be able to get a better return because I can get a better deal on the car. So um, yeah, it, it's definitely something that I'm, that, that I'm looking into doing some due diligence on now. Right. And the reason I asked, because I was just going to ask, like, if you into that, into that business, do you use like some of those strange strategies and tactics when you're trying to get a car so you could just strictly rent out? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And, and, and some of the people that I have been consulting with, it really are the people who are scaling their business because put it, the, the first people that, that when you, when you first get in, it's more like a hobby. You're trying to see, okay, here's, I, I bought this car. Let's see if I can get it rented. If I can, you know, if I can cash flow the car. So that's, that's one thing, but as you're scaling and you're starting to lock in on some of your metrics, some of your actually actual returns, uh, your negotiations and how you uh, mitigate risks become very important in, in scaling your business. So those are the people who I've really been talking to um, in terms of consults are people who are at the point of saying, well, you know, how can I increase my returns and, and reduce my risk? I've, I've had this happen, an engine blew or uh, someone stole it or, you know, how, how can I cover myself in, in these uh, particular situations? So um, definitely, definitely for the people who are scaling, you know, car rental business, I definitely could add value there. Go ahead, D. And then I wanted to um, ask you kind of just reading it back full circle because we looked at this from the buyer's perspective, majority of the conversation, but for you as a salesman, like 
you've been very successful. So I wanted you to dive into, you know, the benefits of being a car salesman and some ways someone can, who's, you know, just starting out in this career field can, uh, you know, get better and some tips and tricks like that. D, that was, you know, you're the best. That's like the best question because that's two sides. And it's crazy because that would, if people paid attention to that on that side, the business wouldn't be so bad. The people wouldn't hate it so bad, right? It, it would be, okay, I can understand how to be a professional, X, Y, and Z. So I think the car business side, uh, as, a, as a, you know, being an employee there, I think it's a great way to pick up skills. Like the skills, like I, I keep telling people, it's the, the, the skills that I learned in the car business are so transferable to real estate. It was such a great way to get like started, like build that skill set of sales, learning how to prospect, learning what lead generation looks like. You know, when you go into a sales job, it's you're basically a business owner. And so you you get to figure out all those things, but have some support, right? Because at the dealership, somebody spends thousands and thousands of dollars on marketing, and then they give you a step-by-step process to follow. But where I took and is able to say, okay, well, you know, you could you could bring this over to somewhere else. It's, it's business, right? You got to have a step-by-step process. So I, I think for anybody who uh, is trying to get, some some build their self up and get some skills the car business is definitely something i would recommend you don't need a college degree um you need to be able to be open and talk to people and be able to follow a step-by-step process as far as like some of the benefits uh in 2015 my third year in the car business um i was a six-figure earner uh after doubling my income back to back years so my first year i worked there six months then i had a year and then that that third full year or that, that second full year, I'm, I was making six figures by that point. So uh, it's a very good opportunity to earn some good money. Now there's obviously you got to do your due diligence on the, the different pay plans and the different opportunities in your market. But I would suggest anybody who wants to build a skill set that is going to can make them millions of dollars um, and kind of have their hand held in the process of doing that, the car business is a, uh, is a good way to get in. Mm-hmm. That was that was a brilliant question, D, because people I think a lot of people probably don't think of, you know, sometimes you just think so so business, business, business. You don't think like what's some skills I could use that could help me with my business, especially if you're younger. Like uh, you know, we had we had Dante's on. That's how he started. He was a car salesman. And look what he's doing now. He transferred those skills into a full-time entrepreneur and he's killing it. So and for any business, any entrepreneur, sales is a skill you need to learn. So I think that is a that is a great strategy. It's, specifically for like people that's not sure what they want to do with themselves yet. They're young. They might not want to go to college. They might not have the funds to college. That's definitely an industry to look into. And I want Grant, to add- Grant Cardone started there. Grant Cardone started really? in the car business as well. Yeah. It's it just like, you know, and, and for the people, and I don't want to deter your question today, but the, the people that, um, I think a lot of people don't understand the income opportunity. So I'm telling you, I was a six figure earner as a salesman there's people that the next level up from a salesman, you go from, generally speaking, you go from sales to finance. So when you go from sales to finance, if you're six figures in sales, you almost can have the opportunity to double that as a finance manager. So you'll go from a finance manager to a sales manager. If you go to a sales manager, your income may come down a little bit, maybe make like between, I don't know, 140 and 160 as a sales manager. But your next level, your your general sales manager, those people make sometimes two hundred and three hundred thousand dollars in the car business. I mean, and they're granted they're employees, but they're well played employees. And some of the and some of them 
have the type of flexibility that you'd never know that they were employees. Like some of them come and go as they want. And you can even see the next level up as a general manager. If that's a big store with a lot of different working parts that's successful, that general manager may make a million dollars a year in the car business. And so from an income opportunity, it's something that's very slept on. There are some very high income earners um, in the car business. Damn. That's hey, I hope I hope people paying attention because that's that's real right there, man. And like I said, those skills that you learn that is you could transfer them to anything. But specifically, if you want to be a businessman or businesswoman, you could transfer those skills immediately. And, re- and regarding sales, like what are some of the because <clears throat> I'm pretty sure those skills you learn, like I said, you you use them with outside of that, you know, what I'm saying real estate with business. And what I just want to ask you, so what are some of the uh let's let's put it like this, what are some of the, the, the keys to being a good a salesperson? So that I think the major key to being a good salesperson, it will go back to my simple mantra of problem solvers get paid. So when you're trying to be a, a good salesperson, you got to figure out what is the person's problem? Why are they standing in front of you? What are they trying to accomplish? When you can figure those things out at a basic level, you're probably going to be a halfway decent um, salesperson. And then like some of the the things that I had to kind of get better at as I, as I was uh, going along was learning to read body language, learning a little bit about tonality when you bring your voice up, matching energy, matching uh, posture. So like, uh, you know, someone is has their hands folded. I might, I might take a step near them and fold my hands too. Or, I, you know, they got their hands in their pocket. I might put my hands in my pocket too, like matching, you know, little stuff like that. You, you learn those ins and outs of the business the more and more you do it. And I would say be intentional about trying to get good at it, right? So one of the biggest things that helped me on my sales career is when um, I talked to my sales manager for one, on, one of our one-on-ones, he said, hey, listen, I want you to start marking every interaction that you have uh, with a person. I want you to go back and review that, that opportunity and figure out, you know, what do you think that you could have done better? What are some things that questions that you had from that, from that, from that uh, time that you spent with those people and start to really hone in on, you know, what things are working for you and what things aren't find out if you have a trend of things that definitely work for you. I mean, that's in the, in the basics of it, it's kind of like knowing, knowing like uh, your, your KPIs on marketing, like knowing like exactly what works and what doesn't, it's just really like dealing with objections. So like the, when you're, when you're doing your thing, there's just a certain, there's just a, a certain couple of objections, you know, you're going to hear like each time. And so I think it helped me too. also uh, practicing and getting that accountability partner who's willing to do some role play, which a lot of people run from role play. But like, if I can get somebody to play with me on a script and go back and forth and, and really just get into it, that's going to really help you. Like, and, and stuff. I, I just think that you got to take it serious. You got to be intentional, intentional about being a good salesperson. Some things that I, like you said, is you, you say like studying body language, like knowing when to raise your voice and to lower it and stuff like that. I feel like small things like that just are extremely important that people don't really like um, study. And the reason I brought this up, because I remember it was a point in time, this was like 20, 2012. Like I used to study like the interview process and like just studying like how to go in different rooms if I'm trying to get a job and how to like master like getting the job. And one of the main things I learned was like when it came to body language, energy, like when like things you just said, knowing when to talk like that. Like I used to uh do tips and stuff like like this is a little tip that I learned. Like if you this 
it's for people if they might want to go in the interview process. It's probably like if you sit in a chair, it's probably best for you to like lean forward, like hold your hands and lean forward because that makes you look interested. It's small things like that. And I, it got to a point, bro, I used to just go on job interviews knowing I wasn't going to take the job, but just seeing like, is they going to hire me? Because I'm like, I, pr- I think I mastered this. And every single time they will always call and say, hey, we picked you to do the job. And I'll be like, oh, well, I got hired for another job. I can't do it. But I used to just keep going on interviews, keep going on interviews. I'm like, yo. So that's why I always tell people, I'll be like, I believe if I go on interview, if I go on any interview, I'm pretty much guaranteed to get the job because I know what to do and I get in the room. And people be like, what you mean by that? I'll be like, bro, I study, I studied that shit for a while. It's so funny that you say that. Like, it's, it's hilarious to me that you say that because there was a point in time in my, when I was a car salesman that I really wanted to get moved up to finance. I really thought, like, all right, this is my point where I'm, I'm ready for this next opportunity. So literally, I was going everywhere, but I was so comfortable with my job that I knew that even if I had, if someone had gave me an opportunity that I wasn't going to take it because I really liked where I worked at. But I needed to know that, yo, I qualified for this position. So I literally was going everywhere, like, Yo, they're willing to give me the job. Like they they want me. Like, all right, so boom. Any I know at this point, anytime I get an interview, it's like I it's that confidence too. Like, and that probably gives you, you know, studying those things, think about it in terms of what you do. When you get in front of somebody, there's another level of confidence that you can exude because you know what to do. And so that's what I say about being intentional. Be intentional, uh, be intentional about what you what it is that you're doing. If you know that you have to be a strong closer, then study closers, study the things that you need to study in order from people that are successful so you can cut the, the uh, having to figure it out yourself. Like that was one thing when I first started in a business, I really wasn't into like the uh, personal development, the, the training, the uh, listening to people, listening to podcasts, watching YouTube. I really wasn't into that. So there was things that I could have definitely shortcut it had I just found somebody who was successful, listened to them and execute, you know, not having to reinvent the wheel. They, they giving you the game. A lot of people, especially when they get successful, like look at this podcast. There's so many people that y'all done had on this podcast that just are enjoying the opportunity to be here, speak about their knowledge that it's cutting the learning curve drastically. Like just go in and be intentional. I keep saying that. Be intentional about uh, what it is that you're trying to do. It's like intentional and about. I keep wanting to push them together. Like it's a whole new word. <laughs> Hey, hey, but that's real, man. Like cutting that learning curve. That's why I always say, like in today's time, it's really no excuses for people because there's so much information out here. Like I know for just on my life alone, like I didn't, I didn't start really listening to podcasts until like 2018, but it like it boosted where I was at so quickly because I just applied the information. Like it, it wasn't no secret place I had to go to to get this information. It was on my, like, just go on my phone, go to an app, listen to some shit. And I'm like, oh, like, damn, I just got some new information. Let me apply this. Damn, this worked. Now I'm learning different stuff. So it's like, like you said, cutting that learning curve, especially as a young person, man, it's it's like, that's so crucial. Cause you don't want to get to that age where you 35, plus and then you finally like okay i'm gonna start applying myself some of these tricks like yo if you started 15 years ago just imagine where you could be at right now so that's real bro i'm, I'm so glad you touched on that yeah i mean i just some people it's like they it's like they want to have a crutch they want to not yeah, they do do it yeah <laughs> you know what i mean so it's just uh yeah i'm gonna wait till i get older or they think it's gonna magically pop into their head like you're like you magically wake up one day and have all the answers like it doesn't work like that. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's tough to, it's, it's tough to watch, but at the same time, like we know we, we don't have an opportunity to like 
be feeling sorry for a lot of people. Like our like life, the world keeps moving. So like I can only do the best I can do by being the best example of what it is that I that I believe in, and then hopefully you catch my drift as as we go. You know what I mean? Straight up, like I, like I only feel sorry for fools and babies and older people <laughs> and, and people that's that, that's physically impaired. But other than that, man, in most instances, and I don't be trying to sound harsh, but I be having a hard time feeling sorry for people because most times people put themselves in their own situations that they could have avoided. It's like, damn, bro, like you didn't have to. I could go on and on about this. Like, yo, it ain't have, you ain't even have to be that way or go that route. You could have avoided all that. And plus, you knew better. That's the worst part when people actually, you know that they know better and they still go down the same route. It's like, how am, how am I going to feel sorry for you? Like, I, I just can't. It is what it is. You 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 went down that route. Now you got you made your bed. Now you got to lay in it. So that's how that's how I be looking at it when it comes to stuff like that. And speak, I want to, I want to get into uh, – to real, to real estate for a sec, because you spoke earlier, you was talking about how there's a lot of similarities between the two when we talk about the car industry and uh, real estate. So just going back, do you mind like going over what are those similarities that you was referring to? So I think like as far as like understanding like deal structure and underwriting, granted that the deal structure and the underwriting aren't the same, but the fact that both of those things are part of the process um, shows a lot of similarities. So like, and like I was explaining earlier, like the the, car business name LTV that's a that's a loan to value that's a term that's used in both industries LTV is just a different uh criteria from real estate to to the car business so stuff like that um in terms of looking for looking for deals looking for uh opportunities uh market research you know you wouldn't go in and you wouldn't go in and just pay what somebody's asking for a piece of real estate without doing your due diligence and, and taking it a step further, like a part that's a huge part that's missed during the, during the car sales process, like when, especially on a used car is people never get the car inspected. But when you buy a house, you have, you are basically setting aside a period just to inspect. People should take that stuff and apply it to the car business. It could avoid a lot of headache. If I had a, if I had a mechanic that was available to look at a car before I bought it for $50 and could say, Hey, yeah, you know, this is a good car, move forward, or hey, no, actually, there's X, Y, and Z going on with it, don't move forward on this car, that's going to save me a lot of money, the same way the inspection does in real estate, the only difference is, if something's costing me a lot of money, and actually, it's not really a difference, because you can apply it in the car business, too, if something's going to cost me a lot of money on real estate, I'm going to adjust my offer accordingly, so if I come up with inspection, and inspection shows me $15,000 worth of work, I'm either going to ask the seller to accommodate me, or give me some type of credit. The dealer can do the same thing. If I find something that's wrong with the car, they can either uh, reduce the price or fix it. So it, those are some similarities. But I think the importance too, the overall importance of, of what you're purchasing is probably the biggest uh, similarity, right? What are the two largest household expenses? Most people it is their house and their car. So you can't just make a decision on you wouldn't just make a decision on your home expense. So you shouldn't just go, you know, waltz and make a decision on your car because the process is easier. And that's probably one of the reasons why you see so many people in, in bad situations with their car is because the barrier of entry, right? So with the real estate, you got to have so much in your savings account. You got to put X amount of money down. You got to have PMI. There are all these things. And as far as home ownership barriers of entry that you have to go through, where in the car dealership, you walk in, you give them a credit statement, you might give them a couple of hundred dollars down, 
And next thing you know, you're riding, even if the payment is, I mean, even if the, the interest rate's 13, 16, or some, in some instances, 30 something percent. So, it, you know, you got to really take those things serious because they eat up a lot of your, uh, your budget. So um, those would be the things I said that is very similar between the two. Something you mentioned when we first started talking, you said that this for real estate for you was a family business. And oftentimes a lot of people we talk to their first generation real estate investors, but for you to come from a family who's already been doing it, can you just kind of dive into what that's been like and how it's been beneficial and break down the family structure of the real estate business? Thanks for that, dude. That's a, that's a great question. That's something I, I really like to talk about too, because even though we've watched this business be able to be passed down, essentially, it's it's been extremely hard because back when it was started, the, the culture was different, right? So when my grandparents started to get into real estate, it was nothing about building a business. That's not why they got into real estate. My grandparents got into real estate to have a nest egg to say, when I'm when I retire, I want to have this pay for my retirement. This is going to be what pays for me. It just happened. So happens that they were in a New York market and my grandfather, very contradictory to my grandmother, decided that he never, that he never wanted to work for someone. So he used it as an opportunity to build a business, but he ended up passing away in 1996. And so the scaling of our business at that point kind of stopped from 1996 out in 2000 to 2000 in 21, 2000, I'm sorry, 21, 2011, uh, our business pretty much was stagnant, no, no growth. And actually we had lost some property too. So uh, as far as being intentional about, you know, having like a family structure, we didn't have that. And so we're, we're very new in this. Uh, we, we took back over our business uh, in, in 2011 with, uh, you know, my mom, who's the, I would say she's like, the next in line. Um, and so she kind of handles a lot of uh, the decision making and she owns it with uh, some family. They all have some, some ownership piece in it, but she's the one that's mainly active. And then uh, because the real estate holdings have grown, uh, it's me who main, mans a property as a property manager. Uh, I have a sibling, my brother who mans as a property manager. And then I have a cousin that's also a property manager. So now that you know we're intentional, there we go again. Intentional about what we're what we're doing in terms of scaling. There has been opportunities in terms of work um, and and W two income that we have been able to uh, generate with this with this business. You guys on? So no, that's that's major, man. Because this hearing that like that, that generational play, I think that's something. That because a lot of us in this, we like first generation. So a lot of the things that we might be going through for the first time is things that you got you could look back for all the generations and learn from. And you could another thing where you could skip those mistakes that a lot of first generation people might be making. So that's extremely important. Then you got children as well, too, right? Yeah, I have a, I have two two kids, uh, a son and a daughter. So yeah, it's same thing, man. It's like um I have I have some. I have some vending machines that I put on uh, a couple of the properties. And so uh, what I, what I do is I like to try to get my son and my, and my daughter involved in like what that looks like going to the store, shopping, uh, counting and, and, and coining up the money, counting the money, making sure everything is there, going to the bank and just try to get them, get them exposed to, to these type of things. I think as parents, 
you know, we can make that decision to, to be intentional, right? To make sure that they see these things. And I believe that it's a lack of exposure as to why the, the, the broader of the culture doesn't. I think, just think that they haven't had the exposure. I think the internet now is giving it a way to, to make it so that's not an excuse anymore, especially when you get to an older age. But when you get to an older age, then you're having to break mindsets and things that were, were built at a younger age, right? Um, so I just try to, with my kids being so young, I try to expose it to them young, like kind of like how I was. Like I, when we, when, when I was in high school, and this is before that, you know, I even knew like what our, our family business was. My mom had some rentals. I, she would, I'm thinking I'm protecting her. You know, I'm, I'm hopping in the car thinking, you know, she's going to go pick up the rent. I don't want nothing to happen to her. So I'm jumping in the car, but those type of things that exposed me to, oh, my mom was a landlord and she was picking up the rent. We were going to do section eight inspections. We were having, I painted a, I painted a whole living room for my mom when I was like 16. So like some of these, some of the things that I was exposed to, um, I, I don't, I would say on her end was, you know, her just saying, you know, I want my, I want y'all to know, like it's, there's opportunities out here. And so um, it's just like, like, like we talked about that generational wealth and, and making sure that we expose our kids to that. I love that 100%. And I love that you pointed out, like, with American society, as parents, we kind of raise our kids to be like, you could be whatever you want to be. You know, you can grow up, you could, do you want to be a lawyer? Do you want to die? You decide what your path is going to be. But I think, like you said, as parents, we could be a little more intentional, and we could lay the foundation for them to have a strong financial future, regardless of what they choose to be. We can show them things like real estate, say vending machines, other ways to build passive income so that they can always be sure that no matter what I choose to do, you know, I still have a stable financial foundation to fall back on. So I really love that your family's applying that already with the kids in your family. That's like a big part of my brand, D, honestly, like my brand, like everything that I do about my brand is about, you know, that, that financial literacy, that generational wealth, like you know, even the, even bringing it back to problem solvers is like, I want my kids to think like that. I'm exposing them to that at a young age. Like, yo, like, this is what it is. Like, you're feeling this way. If you, like, my, it's so crazy. Like, the other day, I lied to you not. I go into my daughter's room. I'm sitting there, and she pulls out, like, a list, like a, uh, like a menu. And I'm like, yo, what is that? She's like, oh, I sell slime. I make slime, and I sell it. I'm like, you do what? She's like, yeah, like, uh, the teacher said it's fine. So I'm like, my mind starts going right away. I'm like, yo, how can I, how can I enhance this? This is what she want to do. So I'm like, okay, let's go to the store. What kind and what, what type of supplies do you need? Let's, let's set you up. So if this is what you want to do, this is what it looks like. And she's nine, bro. So like when she gets older, she will already have been exposed to that. She will already have known that, oh, I can start a business. I can make money. I can exchange a product for, for money. Like she'll know that that's a that's a huge thing to know at nine years old to know that oh I don't have to be a singer I don't have to be an entertainer I don't have to be an athlete I can be in business and you know she it's crazy she she we pull into our neighborhood she sees my logo like she's like oh man like it's she knows what's going on like you know granted we asked her not to obviously not to talk about those things like uh, to her friends and all that but she knows like she's very aware of of her surroundings. So um, it's, again, just trying to keep that pushing. I think that that's something that if we, if we are, if we're all doing that with our kids, there's no way that that next generation, 
can be deterred from anything. If we're telling them that they're kings and queens and that there's opportunities from their from when they're born to when they're uh, adults, there's just no way that we can't take that step forward. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. I love it. And, and I'm just going to say, shout out to her because she a real hustler. She's selling slime. She's selling slime. So here's the thing. So she told me she's selling slime. My mind started, I'm like, okay, you're selling slime. This is working. Why is this working? Oh, this is working because the teachers, the, or I'm sorry, the parents, they don't want their kids making the slime at their house. So she's solving a problem. I said, you know why your kids, why the kids are allowed to go home? ask their mom for money to buy slime because their mom doesn't want them building it or doing it in their house. So you're fixing a problem in terms of giving them slime that they want that they don't now have to go home and just play with. It's a, it's great. She's like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Because at one point she wasn't allowed to make slime in my house because I'm like, Oh, this stuff gets everywhere. Like it is a mess, like crazy. And she figured out how to do it. Keep it like nice in her little area. She jars it up and then she takes it to school. So like, yeah, she's, She's killing it. She's killing it. That's major, bro. And uh, you married as well, right? Not, not quite. Not quite. Okay. So you in a relationship? I am. A yeah. long, long, long relationship. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. And do y'all do business together? Um, indirectly. 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 So, so yeah. So, one of the properties that we control uh, was a was a school building that was converted to apartments. And so um, that building also has a second uh, commercial space that is this zoned on the on the property, and and it was uh, being used as a daycare. So her and my sister they they founded a nonprofit daycare at this space. So they're kind of like tenants, but we don't necessarily do uh, business together. Okay, and the, the reason at least I not had... right now, at okay. least not right now. There's there's things on the radar, right? So I think ideally. I would love to do business with her because I want to bring her into that life. I kind of, I run around and I do a lot. And so I I think um, just trying to, again, that using that, that buzzword intentional want to uh, show her like what my life looks like on the business scope, even if it's not her actually doing the the process, I just want to at least expose her to what that stuff looks like. So, you know, when I'm running around, when it seems like, Oh, I'm on the phone or I'm doing this, you kind of get an idea that, Oh yeah, it's it is you know business is hectic. So you know it, it, I do it's on one it's on a, a bucket list I guess or a goals to figure out you know what can we do that kind of aligns for both of us because she's super she's super alpha like me, but she's super strong at like organization where that's like I'm more of like a doer and kind of figure my process out as I go. She's more like yo no let's X Y and Z before we do anything. She's she's a very structured person. Okay. The reason I ask that because uh, people always ask me and D like, what is it like being in a relationship and working and to get working together? So I was going to ask you the same thing if that was the case, just if you had any tips on that, because people always looking for, for gems on that. And, and this, in this aspect, it's super hard for me to even be that right. Because her actual partner is my sister. And so I try to stay out of that, you know what I mean? And, and try to, if I am ever giving advice about her and business, I try to do it from the most objective standpoint because there's two people that I strongly, strongly care about that not, it's not necessarily them butting heads. Cause I don't even see that, but you know, in terms of just, I guess, everyday stuff that comes up with doing, with having a partner, right. Or having, having them build a business of startup. So they took, they basically did took a facility and then learned everything that they needed to do to open a pan, a, a daycare in the middle of a pandemic. So just imagine 
all that stuff, there was some stress and some, I'm sure some uh, heated discussions that went on in that. And so I just try to just stand back and try to be logical. And and, and you got to do it on both sides. So I do it with my sister and my and my uh, mom and, and her as well. So um, we don't directly do business together, but I think what it is for me and how you can just be better as far as uh, doing this is I'm sure you understand D to a, to a very like, you know, high level. Like, you know, when, she, when uh, she may not say something, but you understand that, oh, she's upset or, or, oh, she feels this type of way. Like you can, you can, because you're experienced with her, right. You can feel that. And so with me and her, it's me understanding what things are, what things are like her, this are non-negotiable for her. Like she's very high communication. So like she has to have high communication. I need to let her know as best I can to communicate on the level that she wants to. And if, if I can't, then it's going to cause friction. And so it's about like learning the people who you do business with. And I would say it's no, it's probably no different than you should take any business relationship in terms of really trying to understand how do people like to communicate? How, you know, what, what are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? And like how I was able to tell you what her strengths and weaknesses are, I can then allow her to be a star in her role. So like, if it comes down to parts of the business, I'm not going to fight her on things that I know that she's strong with because that's why, that's why she's strong. I, I know that. So no need for me to go in and, and give a, you know, my little two cents that I know that that's not, a, that's not my strength. She, I may need, she may need to show me or teach me how to do it, but I'm not going to go back and forth with her on, on the things that I know she's good at. So I, I would say like, treat it like any other, uh, relate like partnership, but obviously, uh, understand there's more, there's more at stake. You gotta, you gotta be careful of how you word things, right. Be, be very uh, mindful of the words you use and, and the tone. I think the tone and like we said, like, understanding that in the sales side, I think that that's very important and, and trying to do business with your significant others, knowing that, you know, some things it's not what you say, but it's how you say them. And so you gotta, you gotta really, really take uh, heed of that. Be very cautious of how you say things, say them in a way that they can be received. I think that's so big about communication that people leave out. Um, I, I struggle with it myself to say, well, if they don't understand, it's their fault. If, if, if they don't, if, if they don't get it, it's on them. But if the message that I'm giving is for those people, it's on me to make sure that they can receive that message. I got may have to tweak myself, tweak how I do things if it's that important to me. If it's that important for me to get for them to get that message, I got I have to maneuver. So that's that's helped us in in this crazy work environment because literally everything I do, everything I do is kind of connected, and I'm literally running around from sun in to sundown. So. Um, it's kind of like, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a partnership with her because my, my, you know, my, my, I am my brand. So she's having to deal with and put up with everything that I do, all my frustrations, everything that comes with doing business. So I, I do treat it. I treat her like she's my partner. I try to keep her, uh, informed on what's going on, where I'm at in business, some of my milestones and, uh, things that she can follow up with and ask me about. Cause she noticed that, you know, that they were important to me. Mm, that's man. That's, that's heavy right there, bro. And um, so I, I got on uh, Twitter earlier today and I seen you tweet something and I want to ask you about this. You said how and this is going back to the uh, car, the car industry and the rental car, the rental car business specifically. You said guys in the rental business, under, please understand that not putting money down on your rental cars is exposing you. And I was like, mm, that's that's <laughs> I, I want to I just want to ask you, could did you, do you mind going further into that? Well, like, what, what do you what did you mean by that? 
So, so these, a lot of these guys, right. So I was in a clubhouse room yesterday and, and it's no knock on those guys because they don't have the, they didn't work in the car business. They don't understand the products to the, to the level that I do, but they were in there basically saying, yeah, I, I never put money down on my cars and, you know, I just get the gap insurance. Well, that's cool, but it, you're not, gap insurance is made for like individual owners. It's not, it's not made for uh, rental cars. Rental. You, by not putting money down, like we talked about that percentage, right? So we talked about the percentage that a, that a, that a bank would allow you to uh, finance that car for. So let's say that that percentage we said was 120%. So you're, you're not putting any money down. You're driving out of the lot, financed 120% of the vehicle's value. And on top of that, you plan on renting it, which those people are not going to treat your car like your car. So it's high risk in terms of potential accidents, so on and so forth. That's why you got to get different insurance. But then on top of that, you're depreciating the car further because it's not going to be driven like a normal car. It's going to be driven like crazy. You probably put 20, 30,000 miles on the car, which is double. So now you're, you're severely depreciating the car two ways because it's a rental and you're high mileage. So the gap insurance, let's say that something happens after a year. You're like, hey, yeah, don't worry about it. I got gap insurance. Well, you were already over leveraged. You were already leveraging the car 120%. You've paid on the car, but you've also depreciated. So let's say at this point, the, the, the gap insurance will cover 135%. 135% is not going to be enough to cover your gap. You've depreciated the car way beyond the max of the, of the gap insurance. So that gap that you paid $700 for up front or $1,000 for up front, it's not even enough coverage for you. So you need to put money down on this car and, and be sure because you're paying. You're going to cash flow it. You should be paying the debt down if you can too, because you don't want the car is going to depreciate faster than you could pay it off normally. If you're in a month to month situation, you're not going to break even on that car, generally speaking, until five years, until the, until the, the loan is done. So, you know, if you're not, if, if you're not putting down money and you're uh, depreciating the car by having it as a rental, you're, you're really allowing yourself to be exposed for expenses that you really didn't uh, account for. Is there ever a time to take advantage of the no money down concept? Um, on a lease, you should put as little down as possible. So like on a lease, I, I generally tell people no money down. Just cover your fees because you're paying interest on the car. So I don't like the no money down because you're paying, you're already paying interest on something that's depreciating. If you do want to have little money down, just cover your fees. A lot of times that's like a, a thousand, fifteen hundred, two grand, you know, maybe your tax tags and fees. I would, uh, I would say if you, if you could eliminate those things and just put that down, that probably could work on, uh, on a, someone who's just owning the car. But I really don't think that there's a, a like there's a great opportunity for zero money down unless it's a, oh no, I guess on a used car, let's say it's a, a, a five-year-old used car that you can buy um, that's significantly undervalued. So you can get it because it's it's older, it's hit most of its depreciation and it has low miles. That car is not bad to do no money down on. That's at that point, you're, you're going in at a value. You're probably spending less than, you're probably paying for that car less than what it's actually worth. So you could do a, a zero money down on, on something like that. Mm, okay, that makes sense. So basically, like, like, like you pretty much, said is you don't want to do no money down but you don't want to put a whole bunch of money down either. correct just fine yeah don't 
Yeah, that was okay. something that they came up with yesterday. It's like people were in between like of putting way too much money down and just not wanting to do anything. I think there's a healthy balance, especially if you're if you're using the, the initial criteria of like 15% of your 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 net income, then you may you'll be able to backtrack and know exactly what you have to put down in order to make a specific car work in your budget. Okay. So regarding, let's, let's talk about this for a second. Regarding people that may not have the best of credit, it may be below 700s or below 650s. Can they use some of these strategies as well when they get in the car? Or is it at the point where like, you might just have to get into not the best deal because you don't have the best credit? That's a tough one. Um, but I would say definitely same strategies in terms of just knowing what you can qualify for so that you don't get taken advantage of. You may find out that uh, you only qualify for 25% interest on a $7,000 car. I can't make that decision for you, but I would most of the time say that that's probably not the best uh, situation to go in. But if that's your only, if that's your only uh, way that you can get in, then what you need to do in that, and you need to do this every time, not even if you have bad credit, whatever time you're financing a car, you need to be paying your payments. Instead of making one monthly payment, you need to be breaking that monthly payment into two and making two biweekly payments instead of one monthly payment. That's going to save you some money. And if you have high interest, it should save you a decent amount of money on the interest as well. I like that. And if you go on, let's say, let's say this, let's say if you're going around car, car shop and hopping from dealership to dealership, should you be letting these dealerships do hard inquiries on your credit when you like every time you go? No, that's the, that's definitely the main reason why you want to get a pre-approval first so that there's no reason for that dealership to run your credit until those numbers and that pencil is sharpened the way you need it to be. Yeah, that's important. Man. I want to ask that because I know the people they they go through that. They go, they might go car shopping, then they they did, did hella inquiries on their credit, drag their credit down. That might mess up the the point where they could get the car. So I I I feel like that was important to ask. No, that definitely definitely um, will hinder you. Like when the when the when a car dealer pulls your credit and they see you have twenty car inquiries from banks and you didn't get approved, that's just they're just at that point they just gonna keep sending it because. You obviously don't care, so they not, they're not going to care. Um, but one of the funniest things on the, like being on the other side of the fence is, yo, everybody just know that if you don't give the, the dealership any of your information, like your, your, your social security number or anything like that, they can't run your credit. So you don't have to tell them, like, don't run my credit. If you didn't give them any information, they can't run your credit. That used to be so funny to me when I was working on the other side. <laughs> like, well, I don't know your name. I don't know credit. <laughs> right, that's, it, that's funny I mean but that's just I guess you know that misinformation everybody being on guard of going into the dealership they're like I don't want my credit ran I'm like yo you didn't even give me any information I can't run your credit like I don't have the information I need but um yeah so that's that's that okay okay do you have any uh, other questions no no you, more questions you have anything else you want to go over bro that we didn't get a chance to go over um, I don't want to get deep into it because we've been on here for a minute, but I do need people to know, uh, uh, as far as my, my real estate business is concerned, as I am looking for partners, uh, you know, globally to partner with, I'm with EXP. So, um, I know y'all see me tweet about that a lot. It's something that I'm, I'm passionate about in terms of like, uh, equity and, and diversifying your, your, uh, 
your investments. I think it's a good opportunity for uh, for agents, and, I, and I'm definitely looking to partner with people who are specifically wanting to work or build a uh, investor type strategy. So, um, if there's anybody who's listening to this that wants to learn more, definitely make sure you reach out to me. Definitely, definitely, man. And uh, I know I had another. I had another question. I can't remember what it was, man. I had, I, had, I know I had like a million million car questions just because I feel like. Especially when you're young, man, I see people go in and get screwed all the time. Yeah, especially, specifically, new military people. <laughs> said, I did have a question. He said, um, he like, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, military people be the worst in my class. Yeah. But um, with everything happening this year, I don't know if you can, sis, but, you know, they've been allowing a lot of people to um, skip payments and all that because of the pandemic. and um, Like with, that, with the cars or with their rent? I want, it's been both, both, you know, like with rent and all that. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think people should take advantage of those opportunities or should they go ahead and just keep paying? So, I mean, if I don't, I don't know why, why you wouldn't just keep paying. But I mean, if unless your income has like slowed up, but I don't see what what benefits you you get from those things unless you're saying, hey, you know, they're allowing me to skip payments for for six months and I'm going to skip the payments at no penalty for six months so I could put that money elsewhere. Like if if you're going to do that, have a strategy. Don't just be doing it to do it. I mean, it doesn't you don't want to hold debt any longer than you have to unless you can, like, put yourself in a better opportunity. So, you know, I, I would say unless you're doing that then just continue to to pay your obligations as as you can. Um. But yeah, I've been blessed. I haven't had too many people on the on the uh, rental side, you know, come into too much trouble. So um, I guess, it, you know, I'm like I said, I'm extremely fortunate. Very. And I, like you said, I wouldn't advise nobody to skip anything. If you have the money and you can afford to keep paying your bills, keep paying it. Don't take no, don't try to, because somebody got to pay that in the back end. And you don't want them to come back to you six months from now and be like, you know, you skip X amount of months. You owe us X amount of thousands of dollars that you probably don't have at that moment. So you might just keep paying your rent. Don't try to, because you know, the thing is people try to get over a lot. Don't even try to get over on nothing. Keep doing, keep doing what you're doing, man. Don't let nothing come back, come back to bite you in the ass. And uh, yeah, I, when I, what I was referring to when I was saying uh, military people, because I was, I, I even, like I talked about this before, if I ain't had somebody stop it, me, yeah, I would have got it, bad, bad. So, so that's like, Bro, in my eight years in the car business, so many, so many people who have your story never got stopped. So many people just went and did exactly what you had intended on doing. It's a blessing that somebody said, hey, what are you doing? Because I've even had, like, there, I, there had gotten to a point in my career, like, I had a, I, I had a friend that passed away that got killed, and I had started a, a, a nonprofit company. So, um, we were at this point giving back to the community, uh, serving the underserved. And so as we're growing this, this business, I just started thinking like, yo, I'm in an industry that like, if you don't know, you know, no one's going to stop you. So I had like, was wrestling with myself, like, man, like, what do I do in these positions? And it had gotten to the point where I literally was telling people like, yo, you don't need to buy this car. Like you need to go be looking at this car. Your situation fits this. You don't know, you know, when your next this, this, that, and the third is coming. You don't, your credit's not right. This is the the scenario that you need to be in. I, and it's crazy because people like got, I lost customers. I lost people that would like, they would leave like upset, like, oh, you don't want to sell me the car. And I'm like, 
It's not that I don't want to sell you the cars. I don't want to see you in that, in that predicament. Like you're not helping yourself out. I had a woman, I had a daughter and a mom, the daughter's cussing me out. The mom's like thanking me like, yo, thank you so much. Like, I know she's really upset and I know you don't know her. So I know you don't even know how to take this, but I'm just telling you, thank you so much for not allowing my daughter to do that. She wanted to come in, spend, she had just gotten some, uh, some money from like an accident. She wanted to come in, buy this old BMW uh, with high miles. And just so she could say she had a BMW. I'm like, yo, like, nah, like that's not, you don't need this car. Like you don't need this. And she was pissed, bro. Like, man, like cussing me out. And I'm just like, I'll take it. I'll, I'll take it on a chin because I know that I like it. Now she might've went somewhere and somebody sold her that car, but I know at least I didn't, I didn't contribute to that. You know what I mean? I didn't contribute watching her go into a bad situation. Cause that's, that's exactly what that would have been. Oh shit. That's crazy. That's really, Cause like, you know, especially in our community, we had this thing was like, if you ain't driving a foreign car, you ain't driving nothing. But a lot of the times just being real, people don't need to, cause they probably can't even handle the maintenance on them motherfuckers. So it's like, you try, you trying to get involved into that. It's like, you ain't even going to be able to maintain it. And then you might be getting the old, like I'll see people, they'll go get a, they'll go get a 2008 foreign car instead of a new Honda or something that's going to run for them good. It's like, yo, why you, it ain't that serious dog. Like at least the is, if they would just go drive them, if they would just go drive the cars, let's. If they covered the badges, if they covered everything in the car in terms of badges, if they just got in the car, touch, feel, see, did all that, they would pick the newer car. Like the newer car, like a new Honda, like a 2021 Honda right now, like a V6 Accord. That's a nice ass car. Like that car Facts. is nice. That's that's plenty of car. Like plenty of car. The new Mazdas, all that. It's plenty of car. Now you get to a point where financially you're putting yourself around other types of crowds of people. So it's not that it's not that you need to impress them, but your lifestyle changes. And, and if that's one thing about your lifestyle that you're not going to change, nobody's going to be mad at you. Nobody's going to be, nobody in that crowd is going to look at you and be like, Oh, that guy drives a Honda. But even though all those guys are driving BMWs and Lexus, they, nobody's going to look at you funny because I guarantee you, even if you have that Honda, and that's another thing, bro. People are buying luxury cars and they're not even in the cars. You're buying a luxury right. car to go back and forth, use the sunroof, use the backup camera. You're not even into the things that make the car luxury. You might as well go buy a Nissan. That would satisfy you. That would do everything that you need the car to do. <laughs> I'm laughing because that's real. Like you see it all the time. People don't, re- but that's, like I said, our culture, we got the culture where it's like, if you're not driving this type of car, you ain't really on nothing. You ain't really doing nothing. So we, and a lot of us, we feed into it. And we like, man, like, I know I used to think like that. Like, man, when I was back living in Chicago, it's like my whole, my clothes had to be designer. My car had to be this, it had to be this kind of car. It wasn't on nothing. But whole time I was broke for real thinking like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I ain't had no money and I was thinking like that. So I, and, and I, like I said, I know plenty of people that go get those Man, look, I, I know I got a friend, man. He was telling me about one of his his girls that she went and bought a new car. The payments was like a thousand a month, eleven hundred a month, or something like that. And she was pretty much broke, car broke. Like you know how they tell you, don't be house broke. It's a lot of people that's car broke out here too. Like just because so many people that's broke. car broke that can't even have an opportunity to be house broke because they so car broke. <laughs> you don't even have the opportunity. You can't qualify. You literally ate up all of your DTI with your car payment. Your the car facts. payment is taking all of your debt to income. And I think it's like, 
I don't 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 quote me, but I think it's like the, some I think the banks will look up to like 30 percent of your DTI. I think they will approve. So th that knocks you out of home ownership right there. Like you you're done. You're done. So like, done. bro, it, it's one of those things that I said, like, I want people to know how closely the two industries are because I can help you in both industries. But like it's something that you should take seriously. You need to take your car shopping and your car buying very seriously it's not a game out here like mm -hmm. it's a major expense and it will have you jacked up out here behind these cars like it's it's for real and if it get with i know brian's been on here if, if you're wanting to learn how to turn your your car mm -hmm. from a liability to an asset look at some of those things because i always talk about perspective is a is a is a mf word right it's like how yes. you look at things can can really change and so people that's saying Oh, cars are, is a liability. Somebody went and made that same liability an asset. So open your mind, be intentional, and and definitely like take this stuff seriously. Like it's not a game out here. Like it's obviously with the pandemic, all this, the the uh, the racial tension that we living in. Like it's not a game. Like you don't, we don't have the luxury to be out here playing around. Playing around. It's, That's it's for real. Yeah, it's, it's fact. And once again, like I said, this conversation is so important because like when you building up. I always talk about this. When you building up, you have very little room for error. And things like this is if you mess up on the car buying process, it could be a huge error because you may already not be making that much money. So if you make one mistake, that could push you back five, six years of progress because you stuck with this car now. You gotta you only make X amount of dollars, but you gotta make this huge payment every single month. So you don't like once again, you don't have huge room from error when you're trying to build up. So this is why we're having this conversation because it's so important that you do things the right way the first time so you ain't got to be covering no ground later on. So I'm I'm, I'm super glad we had this convo for real. I, I hope, hopefully, this could help somebody out, which I'm sure it is because we in a season where people going to, going to these dealerships to buy cars now, the new year coming. This is it. This yeah, is this, is, <laughs> this is the new season. New year tax season. Oh, man, tax, oh, man, tax season coming up. I know December you didn't got plenty of text. Favorite, bro. December used to be my favorite, <laughs> especially when I was at Highline. Like I worked at Lexus and I left, worked at BMW. December is when all your executives, all your business owners, they're coming in. And this is where they're not even negotiating the deals because their accountant has told them that you need to spend this money or you're going to be giving it to Uncle Sam. So those deals that have five, six percent markup on it, on these six thousand pound vehicles that they're about to buy and put in their business name those are good paychecks. I'm talking, you know, a thousand, twelve hundred dollars on, on one, on one X seven or one LX, uh, Lexus truck. So yeah, I, I definitely love, this is the season of buying. And like I said, everybody needs to take it seriously. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yep. And this, this is my uh, final question I have for you. And, uh, it's, 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 uh, kind of like a funny question, but I always see you talk about Range Rovers and why they shit and why they and why they shitty cars. Don't do it. <laughs> and why they shitty cars? And Yo, I, this and topic's so funny, man. It is. It is because I, me personally, like the aesthetic of Range Rovers is cold to me. I love, like, I love Range Rovers. I even think about buying one. Me and D, we went to Vegas. We had one for like a week. I'm like, man. But then every, I, I'm when we out there. I'm driving. I'm like, man. No. Terrence said these ain't good cars, man. Because Deanna, she was even thinking about getting one. I'm like. Hey, I heard I like the way they look. Yeah, but so, but, I will but say my, my Mercedes drive better than the range. But but why 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 is Range Rover shitty so, cars? Bro, it just is so hard for like because I promise you, I'm every we're the same. When I look at the Range Rover, I 
ooh, I want it. It's so nice. But like being in the business for eight years, if I've talked to 200 Range Rover owners, one of them had a good experience. And, and, and I mean, so it just comes down to like the, their quality. Like, I, like I'm not a fan and I hope, I don't know, like it's going, some people get really upset when you talk about Range Rover because they're so nice looking. And then the, the status, right. There's, there's a certain status that people perceive with the range. So like, it's a lot of people who have status that are driving around in ranges. And every time I see it, I'm like, man, that I thought this person, like, I thought this person would have been smarter than that. Like, I thought you would have been smarter than to buy a range. But like, at least if I told, I told uh, Madhu, at least if you buy one, you at least are going to get to feel a whole bunch of them because it's going to be in the shop and you'll get to drive one every t- every different one every time it's in there. So at least it's like having a, <laughs> it's like having a fleet of them. You know what I mean? But they quality is just not there. They they try to do a lot of things with the uh, with the electronics, their uh, air suspension, electric suspension, and that stuff just ends up being like faulty, man. And it's just I hate it because they're so beautiful. They're so beautiful. They're they're beautiful cars, but. They just, they not it. Man, not a, it. that's, that's dis- so disappointing news, man. It's like heartbreaking <laughs> for real. Like, my, my boy, my boy had one. So one of my, one of my, uh, one of the finance managers that I used to work with, he had one. He had an 18 uh, supercharged. And I promise you, we were like, and so he bought it from the dealership that we, our company owns a Range Rover dealership. So it was only like literally across the, across the road right down. But like he was literally was leaving from work to take his car to this service department. And it wasn't even far or anything like that, but still like, who wants to deal with that? It's a brand new car under lease. It was so bad. He had to send, he, I think he got lemon law on that car. Like it, it's just, it's crazy, bro. Like those cars, they're just, they just never, they just never do what they supposed to do, man. Damn. Search it on, search it on your, on your Twitter timeline, search it on Facebook, look, for, Google it. I promise you're going to see engines blowing up, Car catching fire, so the transmission don't go in. Where's I mean, it's it's crazy. So, so we know not to mess with Range Rovers, but I would say my final question to wrap it up is: if you had to choose a foreign model car that you would say was the best as far as um, amenities or luxury luxury to the car plus price, which one would you choose? All right, so this this is a great question, and I'm gonna say for me specifically because I do like I do a lot of driving. I like I like um, I think at this point I would like a car that can perform. Right, I'm in a Lexus now, so that's not really like a performance car. It's more of like a like a floating type of luxury car, like the same brand that kind of Mercedes is. Right, so for me, I'm gonna say Porsche. Porsches would be my. That's like. I'm on the get me a taken like right now. Like I yeah. that would be yeah, that would be for me. Um their quality, uh the the uh the quality, the way that the cars drive, the amenities, everything, total scope. I mean, I think that they are uh, like up here for me. They're like top, top brand for me. Man, I agree. And that's uh I'm getting I'm getting one this upcoming year. So y'all heard it on the podcast. Y'all see oh, me in that thing. Remember, man. like, man, he's he said that on the, at the uh, at the last episode. That's of the year. his dream car. I'm, I'm getting I'm, I'm about to I'm about to get it next year, bro. I, I want hey, to. Well, just FYI, it ain't too much I could do on those Porsches. Those Porsche cars. The reason why, and when we talked about like overall brand, 
they do very good in the secondary market in terms of like their value because on the new car side, they are not super, uh, they're not super hungry for your business. They're more like a mm, boutique brand. Right. And so they sell their cars for pretty much what they put on the sticker. And they may have some flexibility, but because they're not chasing to be the number one brand out there, there's not a lot of them on the road. When you see a Porsche, it's almost always guaranteed to turn your head. Yep. Yeah, them, I want the I want the uh the uh the coupe two door joint. The nine eleven? Yeah, the the nine eleven or the um what's the other one called? It's a, it's another one. If it's you do a nine if, if you do a nine eleven, I'm gonna call you Mike Lowry for now. <laughs> we were just watching that movie too. That's a bad car right there. <laughs> it that, is, car, it? that thing is disgusting. It man. is uh, man. So, somebody in our building got one. I'm like, man, this is just a sign. I got to see this thing every, I got to see it every day too. Come on, bro. I'm like, yeah, I'm getting Good. It. That's a great sign for you because you're responsible. And so that you know that, and the only way that you're going to have that is if you handle business. Handle business. So that, that's one of the greatest things about being disciplined in terms of people, people like there's a big thing going around. Like people are talking about billionaires and this, this, that, and the third, but like literally when you're disciplined and you know that there's things that you have to do to, you gotta have some type of goals. You gotta have that thing that's that's going to get you to that next level. So I, I can't wait. That means when you grab it, you would have accomplished whatever it is that yeah, exactly. you before, before that. So I, I'll be looking out for it. I, and I'll be clapping for you on the other school. <laughs> That's love, bro. I appreciate that. You definitely don't see my new car. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna see you. I'm gonna see you a picture as soon as I get that more too. Like, hey, yeah, bro. for sure. <laughs> and uh, the, you and you're in uh Texas now, right? I don't yep. think. Yeah, I, it probably wouldn't be worth it. But there, I I know somebody that's at a dealership up in uh up in Delaware at a Porsche store. So if you want a little comparison, um, okay. let me know. I'll make a I'll make a connection for you and just Bet. see you know what they could do. Bet, appreciate that, bro. I'm gonna definitely uh, uh take you up on that, man. And uh just before we let you go, bro, I just wanna say, man, we really glad to get this done, man. We appreciate you coming on, take some time out your day to come chop up game with us. And before we let you go, do you mind plugging all your stuff where people can find you, follow you, buy merch, everything you got going on, bro? I appreciate that. So my my Twitter is um at legends underscore dad one. Um my Instagram is legends period dad. 300k um my to find me for real estate uh interest is terrenceclarkre.com um you can get to my shop there you can buy all the problem solvers merch uh from from there um and then that's that's it mm, okay okay Yo, once again bro appreciate you for coming on so for those who don't know you can find find me on instagram twitter at xavier c miller and d what's your info and you can find me on Instagram at Deanna Kent and Twitter, Deanna S. Kent. And be sure to follow Park Hill Capital on Instagram and Twitter and the Millionaire Mindsets Podcast. And that's all we have for y'all. Tune into, and thank you guys for tuning into another episode of the Millionaire Mindsets Podcast. See you guys next episode. Peace. Happy New Year's. Happy New Year. Don't turn me up something. Gotta get your brain right if you're trying to make a million dollars. If you ain't gonna do it for yourself, then do it for your mama. Only stay surrounded by them people if you know they solid. Elevate your hustle up today to double up your profit. Trying to learn some game, Xavier gonna talk about it. No Deanna, speak that shit that everybody vouching. Ain't no more excuses valid. Get up off the couch and get up in your bag. To your bank account, need an accountant. I study millionaires cause I was born a visionary. You 
still believe in limitations. Why you acting scary? You can't distract me from the paper. I've been chasing greatness. I'm stacking now and balling later. In the conversation, we strategizing, monetizing, piling up investments, and sacrificing temporary sh- for bigger blessings. Yeah, a tapped in boss mind state. I multiply my grind rate and I match the way I vibrate. Gotta get your brain right if you're trying to make a million dollars. If you ain't gonna do it for yourself, then do it for your mama. Only stay surrounded by them people. If you know they solid, elevate your hustle up today to double up your profit. Trying to learn some game, Xavier gon' talk about it. No Deanna, speak that shit that everybody vouches. Ain't no more excuses valid. Get up off the couch and get up in your bag. To your bank account, need an accountant. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, Our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.